I'm Heidi Harris. This is the Heidi Harris Show podcast. I do this a couple of times a week. You can find these at iTunes or any place you subscribe to podcasts. You can also catch my live radio show five days a week, 6 a.m. to 9 a.m. on AM 670 KMZQ in Las Vegas. Today, I want to talk about something that uh, I think is very important and is frankly overlooked by the church. And I've been talking a lot about what's going on in Vegas with the shutdown and the national shutdown and the pandemic and all that kind of stuff. But there are other issues that matter to me, too. And there's a new book out that I think everybody needs to hear about. It's written by Rachel Gilson. It's called Born Again This Way. A fascinating young woman who had had gay relationships as a younger woman and then became a Christian and ultimately married a man and is living a great life. But it's not about just the fact that, you know, she used to like girls and now she doesn't anymore. It's a struggle you can get over. It's not about that. It's not that simple. I think a lot of churches treat people who've had gay attractions as if they're the worst people on the planet. Meanwhile, people in the church are gossiping, cheating on their husbands and wives, all kinds of other things, and that's okay. But if you've ever had a gay relationship, you're terrible. On the other hand, there are churches that will affirm you and say, no, whatever you want to do, it's good. You're born this way. You just go right on ahead and do whatever you want to do. Somewhere in the middle is the sweet spot because temptation is different for everybody, but all of us are tempted to sin. And from my reading of the Bible, the Bible says far more about what gossip and maligning and judging can do to ruin relationships, ruin churches, ruin nations, far more about that than it talks about gay relationships. But Rachel wrote a great book, a very thoughtful book, and I think it's important for everybody to hear about it. Rachel, welcome to the Heidi Harris Show podcast. Well, thanks so much. I'm glad to be here. Now, people should know this isn't one of those books where I once was gay, now I married a man, everything's perfect, that's cool, and, you know, we all lived happily ever after. It's not that. This is a far deeper book than that, and that's why I think it's so important. Well, it's not that kind of life, yeah. <laughs> it's important, too, because you bring out some very interesting concepts. I want you to know I have a lot of highlights in this book here. I read it and loved every page of it. And one of the things that you mention in your book that I think is so important is the fact that our culture says that all sexual expression and desire is good and right as long as there's consent. You know, whatever, you know, that's how you are. That's what you feel. You know, whether you want to cheat on your husband or wife or whatever you want to do, it's okay because after all, you can't help yourself. So it's not just about the gay straight thing. This is what the culture says to everybody. That's right. Yeah, the real question I'm trying to answer, frankly, is who owns me? Do my desires own me or does Jesus own me? Right, right. Absolutely true. And that's important because as I was reading this, as a woman who's never, ever been I'm tempted, I mean, I can see a pretty woman and think she's beautiful. I don't want to touch her. That's not a temptation for me. <laughs> but I've got plenty of other ones. Trust me on that one, you know. But th th I'm looking at this book. I'm reading this and I'm reading it and applying it to just a normal person who's a sinner, who's, who's opposite sex attracted. To your point, you can have these temptations one way or the other. That doesn't mean you're allowed to disobey God's laws. And that was something that you had to come to terms with once you became a Christian. Yeah. Well, and it's really important for all of us because culture does tell us, hey, you're not going to find your authentic self unless you look really deep inside you. And whatever you find in there, you have to obey it. And I think as Christians, we have to like scratch our heads when we hear that and think, is that really true? Or does the Bible tell me something else about my heart. You know, am I, am I a sure compass or am I a broken compass? Like, right. do my desires tell the truth to me or do they sometimes lie to me? 
That's true. We're speaking with Rachel Bilson. Her brand new book's called Born Again This Way, Coming Out, Coming to Faith, and What Comes Next. I have a friend who's a pastor here in Las Vegas who was in gay relationships when he was younger. He's been married to a woman now for many, many years, and he, I'll have to make sure he gets a handle on hold of your book and maybe have you speak at his church or something, but he's a fantastic person, and he understands this thoroughly, and he's been very upfront about it, and he kind of has the same attitude you do. It's like, listen, God has rules for behavior, and whether they're sexual or not, he has rules, and if you're going to walk in step with him, that's what you have to follow. That's right. And I think sometimes when we are confronted first with God's rules, we can feel, um, you know, a little bit attacked because sometimes we have a picture in our mind of like an angry schoolmaster or something, right, who's just shouting rules at us. But the other thing that I think is deeply, deeply important is we remember not just that God has authority because he made us, which is true, but that he is so much more for us than even we are. He loves us more than we love us. And sometimes when we grasp for things, it's because there's a part of our heart that thinks, hey, if I don't take care of me, nobody's going to take care of me. If I don't reach out for my own joy and comfort, no one else is going to look out for my joy and comfort. But God's trying to tell us that he actually desires our joy and comfort even more than we do. It doesn't always look the way that we think it should look, but he really, really is for us. And I think that's the other piece that's really important with his rules. They're not just arbitrary or cruel. They flow out of his goodness. Right, absolutely true. We're speaking with Rachel Gilson, her brand new book, Born Again This Way. It's so important what you say, because you you also talk about the fact that now you're married to a man now, we'll get to that, but you talk about the fact that, you know, marriage is much more, and sexuality when it comes to marriage is much more. You don't just get married for pure lust, and anybody who's straight knows that's a big mistake, and that'll last you about two years and one toddler. Uh, so <laughs> there's a right, we've all seen that that move right. There's a lot more to life than just, and it's not that you don't feel an attraction for the person you're married to. You certainly everybody should, but you can't base your desires and and marriage and those kind of decisions strictly on something so fleeting. And you talk about that. And once again, I'm reading this book as a straight person who's always been straight, and the concepts are very appropriate for both sides. Well, and I think because um, sometimes what we've heard from society is a a story that I like to call salvation by romance, you know, that we're not really our full or complete selves unless we have a romantic partner. And a big piece of that romance in our culture is this sexual desire that's kind of like fireworks or explosions. And so we can kind of get tricked into thinking, well, marriage is about that. Well, of course, sex is an important part of marriage. But the way that God describes marriage in Scripture, it doesn't, um, you know, it doesn't mean that romance can't be a part of it, but it's actually not the most important thing. Marriage is designed to be a picture of the gospel, and you can actually do that without fireworks in your sex life, as long as there are a lot of other things that represent God's love for his people. That's true. And the, and marriage is about so much more than that. And it's so much, it's, it's a, it's a larger part of God's plan for all of us. And, and once again, people who get married on some hormone rush, uh, realize pretty quickly that you're lying in bed at night after you're married a while and you're talking about kids and homework and bills and things like yeah. that. And that's, yeah. and that's not bad. It's real life. It's not the same thing right. as sneaking off to the holiday inn and having a couple of hours with the phones are off and reality's pushed aside. And once again, I'm talking gay and straight. And so marriage is about something larger than we are. 
Well, and I think that's what's been interesting. Sometimes people ask me, you know, like, well, gosh, what is your marriage like? And I'm like, you know, I think I actually have a really boring, normal marriage. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, uh, it seems it seems to run about the the same as all my other friends' marriages um, in good ways. You know, there's just there's a lot of like household management together, simple joys together. We've been married about uh, twelve and a half years, and there's a lot of there's a lot of delight, and there's a lot of like, oh, okay, here we go again. You know, just kind of same old, same old, and um, I don't know a, a long term kind of marathon view of marriage of like, hey, we, we've committed to each other for the long haul, because that's part of what God's relationship with us is, is he's saying, I am never going to leave you or forsake you. That's like, right. I am in this for the long haul. So important. C.S. Lewis, and I don't have the book in front of me, but I, I've read it, I'm sure you have too, Mere Christianity. There's a passage in there where he talks about marriage, and he talks about, and this was him talking as an unmarried man, talking about how we can't live our life the way we live it in the throes of a relationship. You know, you used to first start dating somebody, for the first few weeks you hardly sleep, you spend every minute you can together, right? right? And, and you simply cannot live your life at that level, uh, that's not going to last very long. And once again, gay or straight, the principle's the same. And it was a great point that he made. I'm paraphrasing, but you get my, my objection. I'm sure you've read it, so you've seen it. No, yeah. Mere Christianity is very important for me, actually. I became a Christian partially because that's the that's the book I stole from an acquaintance of mine and while reading it, um, decided to give my life to Christ. That's such an amazing book, and you do mention that in your book. So let's let's go backwards a little bit. So you were, before you became a Christian, you had dated guys a little bit, but you found that you were more attracted to women, and then you stole that book, Mere Christianity. <laughs> stole the book from somebody who was, you went to college with, and you read yep. it. And let's talk a little bit about your, uh, your journey there. Yeah, so I was a very, very committed atheist by the time I started college. You know, as I as I thought about the, the big ideas of the world, uh, it just didn't seem to me that religion had compelling answers. I I didn't see anything that was interesting to me. I thought, well, religion must be a crutch for people who don't know how to think for themselves. Um, and, and at the same time, I also recognized, well, my sexuality, I'm much more at home with women than, than with men. You know, this was back in 2001 to 2003, you know, back when Will and Grace was still edgy, not nostalgic. And I thought... <laughs> You know, I think the future is with me. I think I'm going to be able to marry a woman, and uh, it really seems to me that religious people are not for that idea. And even though I had never been mistreated by a church or by Christians, I just kind of knew that. So in my mind, Christians were stupid bigots. You know, I didn't want anything to do with them. But by the time I got to undergrad, I did my undergrad at Yale uh, in Connecticut, which is a Californian, you know, I felt sort of... um, taken off guard by the fact that winter exists. But I was there and I realized, um, oh gosh, I'm not the smartest person in the world anymore. Because I went to a, a, a kind of, you know, a small public high school in California, and big puffed out chest. I thought I was really impressive. And it turns out when you're around some of the best scholars your age in the world, you can get knocked to your feet a yeah, little bit. Yeah, that's going to be pretty humbling, yes. Yeah, it was. And, and at the same time, the girl I was dating at the time broke up with me. So I was really was having an identity crisis, and it wasn't like, oh, I want to turn to Jesus, because I didn't believe in Jesus. But I happened to be in a lecture one day. We were talking about Western philosophy. We were talking about Rene Descartes. He's the old, dead Frenchman who invented the phrase, I think, therefore I am. (laughs) And, you know, he built the whole proof for the existence of God off of that phrase. And I remember thinking, this is a really stupid proof for the existence of God, which 
actually still think. But while I was sitting there, I was wondering, well, you know, what if there are better proofs? And I, I didn't really like the idea, but I couldn't shake it. So being a good millennial, you know, I just asked the Internet. So <laughs> I started doing a ton of Google searches and um, kept reading about the person of Jesus and I was so much more drawn to Jesus than I anticipated, which kind of made me feel icky in a way. Uh, and the only two people I knew at Yale who identified as Christians were these two women who were dating each other, and one of them was <laughs> training to be a Lutheran minister. So I thought, well, gosh, maybe they know something about this that I don't know. And so I went to them, and they were like, oh, yeah, it's all been a big misunderstanding. The Bible actually supports monogamous same-sex relationships. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh my goodness, that's really interesting. Now, it's not even like at that point I was saying I wanted to be a Christian, but that idea was very appealing to me. And so they gave me a packet of information explaining that, and I took it back to my room because I love a packet. And as I was reading it, you know, I thought, gosh, this does make a lot of sense. This seemed really promising. But I also thought, well, maybe I should read some of the Bible verses, you know, they're claiming to interpret. So I was pulling up these Bible verses on my computer kind of looking from my screen to the packet, screen to the packet, and I thought, uh-oh, I don't think these interpretations are doing as good of a job as I thought. Now, it's not like I was a Bible scholar. It's just the, the only things I'm good at in the world are reading and writing. And so I was like, oh, gosh, these girls are sweet, but I don't, I don't think this really holds water. And I remember feeling kind of duped, kind of frustrated, throwing the packet away. And it was sometime pretty quickly after that that I was in the room of an acquaintance of mine, and I, I saw Mere Christianity on her bookshelf. One of my favorite hobbies is to look at people's bookshelves and judge them. And so uh, I, was, I was doing that, and I, I saw it on her shelf, and I really wanted to read it, but I was too embarrassed to ask her for it. So while she wasn't looking, I just put it in my bag. You're funny. Well, it's, uh, you know, we laugh, and I, there was a time where I was doing campus ministry on Yale's campus where I, I gave away free copies of Mere Christianity. You're trying to atone for your sins, that's yes. That's right, that's right. Um, so <laughs> that is a great was, book. Was, oh, it is. It's fantastic. And I was reading it uh, one day in the library because it was easier than my homework, and I was just suddenly overwhelmed with not only does a God exist, like in some sort of generic store brand way, but... I realized the God who made me exists, like he is perfect, he is transcendent, and I'm going to owe him an account. And I felt so afraid in that moment, because I knew me, I was arrogant, I was a liar, I was a cheater, I was sexually, I was reading a stolen book, you know, all the chips were pushed into the guilty category, and I knew that I deserved to be condemned. Really clearly with that. I also understood that part of the reason Jesus had come was to place himself as a barrier between God's wrath and me, and that the only way to be safe was to run towards him, not away from him. And so I sat there for a few moments thinking, well, I don't want to become a Christian. That sounds really lame. (laughs) Yeah, there are a lot of rules and things. Yeah, all these rules and stuff. Who who wants to do that? Yeah. But I also realized, well, I can't pretend the gospel isn't real just because it's inconvenient for my life. Like, that's that's kind of stupidity. And so I thought, well, I'm never going to get a better deal than this. And I didn't have an after or campus minister sitting with me, so I just kind of closed my eyes and said, uh, fine, I'll become a Christian. 
<laughs> and you talk more about the journey in this book. The book's called Born Again This Way. Rachel Gilson joins me. And, you know, one of the things that, and I, I'm not going to go through your whole journey because I want people to read the book. One of my friends who, as I mentioned, had some same-sex relationships when he was younger, and he was a Christian from the time he was a very young child, said that he felt as if there was no one he could talk to in the church. And you talk a little bit about that right. in the book. And and it's funny how people will look down at somebody with same-sex attractions, like, oh, that's a horrible sin. Meanwhile, they're mm -hmm. gossiping about everyone in the church. And to my, <laughs> to my reading of the Bible, and I'm no expert here, gossip is mentioned far more than anything to do with your sex life, anybody's gay or straight. And, and it's interesting. Well, her sin's worse than mine. Maybe they don't have that temptation, but they have plenty of others. Talk a little bit about how churches can help people, not not necessarily, certainly you don't want people to, and you talk about this in the book, to say that sin is okay, but you want churches to address it in a way that shows grace toward people struggling. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I think one of my hopes for the church is that we can continue to grow towards a sexual ethic for all of us that's compassionate to people and faithful to Scripture. And part of that means that we have to recognize every single one of us needs the grace and the truth of Jesus Christ. If we only have grace, you know, if we only have like, hey, it's okay, it's okay, well, then we have no power to actually break patterns of disobedience in our life. We have no power to see change. And I'm not even talking about necessarily change in what our temptations are, because sometimes God doesn't allow that. But I mean change in terms of our ability to obey Him as opposed to obeying our flesh. Right. But, but if we only have the truth, if we only have do this, do this, do this, without the grace, then we end up crushed between, uh, between the rock of our inability and the ground that we stand on. That's we true. We really have to have both wings of the plane to fly. And sometimes um, there's just been in the Church a little bit of shame around talking about same-sex attraction. And so people have kind of covered it up, or, or when it has come up, like you've said, people sometimes have overreacted. And so no one has felt, not no one, but it's often felt very unsafe for people who grew up in the Church to be honest about what they're facing. And how in the world do we get help in our discipleship in following Jesus if we can't be honest about what we're dealing with? I'm not, I'm not talking about, you know, sharing in such a way that we're glorying in what we experience. I'm, I'm talking about being able to share a prayer request in a home study group and not being looked at like I have three eyes, you know, oh, just right. being like, hey, we all deal with stuff. Maybe we've been dealt different temptations, but we all know what it's like to look at something that we really want to do, to know God says no, and to figure out, how do I get to His heart in this? How do I reach out and understand that He is for me, that he's going to empower me, and that he is even better than this thing that I want. That's exactly right. And once again, when I, I'm thinking about uh, uh, just using gossip as an example. You know, there are plenty of people right. they hear something about somebody, they run to the phone, not to the throne. Well, that's <laughs> forbidden, okay? And so, but but right. but Rachel, we're going to look down on Rachel Gilson because she, you know, she's got same-sex attraction. First of all, it's insulting for anybody to think that every anyone who's same-sex attracted is after every woman or every man. I mean, give me a break. <laughs> give me a break. Know, it's and it's, it is insulting. And all 
not only that, you know, if you're one, one of the things that bothers me is you remember that movie Brokeback Mountain that came out years ago. Yeah. That that movie was not about making a same-sex relationship uh, look decent. That movie was about glorifying adultery. I don't care if you're gay or straight or what you are. When you're married, you're married. I don't get to date Bradley Cooper. Those are the rules. Okay. <laughs> the, that and that. The, but so that's well, that's it, not a gay thing. Is, that's a, anything. Anybody. But it's it is important, like you're saying. Um, God has actually said that every single one of us have the exact same two options for faithfulness. Right. We can be faithfully single, or we can be faithfully married, using God's definition of marriage. And and I can actually live in either of those vocations um, with you know fidelity to Christ, whether I'm attracted to men or women or both right. or neither exactly. or potted plants. Like it doesn't really. <laughs> It doesn't really matter. I don't need to construct my identity on who I'm attracted to. Right. I, I can acknowledge it, and that's fine. But there's there's actually so much freedom to not have to worry about orientation. And that's sort of a place where the Church has sometimes gotten a little uh, muddy as well. Sometimes they've really wanted to see God change same-sex attractive people's attractional patterns. They've wanted to see them made straight. But what's difficult, of course, like you're hinting at, is um, most straight people struggle with sexual temptation. Well, of course they it's do. Not like, it's not like being straight is the magic, uh, you know, click over to home. It's not. And some of the people who look down on folks like you who've had same-sex attractions, hello, how many of them were virgins when they got married? Mm-hmm, just asking, yeah. right? Yeah. So it's just really important. We, Every single one of us needs the grace and truth of Jesus. Yeah, I'm going to quote one one of your. I've got a million stickies in this book of yours. By the way, the book is called "Born Again This Way." Rachel Gilson coming out, coming to faith, and what comes next. I love this particular quote: "Marriage is not promised or preferred. It can't make you straight, nor prove that you're committed. It's not the prize for faithfulness, nor the source. Jesus Christ is the is the prize. The Holy Spirit is the source. God is our Father, our husband, our friend. What a powerful, powerful quote from your book. Well, my hope is that. Yeah, no matter what place we're coming from as we read it, I want people to leave the book feeling encouraged in God, that he's not abandoned them. You know, that um, when he looks at us, his face isn't, you know, he's not looking at his watch, impatient for how slow we're moving. He's not looking at us with frustration or annoyance. That when he looks at us, because we're in Christ, his face towards us is full affection and so I don't have to get married to earn that. Um, I don't have to, you know, win all the obedience awards to earn that. I, I already have it in Jesus Christ. And so I, I'm actually free to obey because I'm already loved. Right. And by the way, you don't stop sinning when you get married. Maybe it's not a sexual sin anymore, but you got everyone's doing plenty of other sins. You know, I go back to gossip and things like that, judging, all the things that you still do once you're married. So so you're exactly right. I loved your book, Rachel. I love the fact that you uh, took the time to write it, and I hope you affect a lot of people. What's been the uh, response so far to your book? You know, I've been really encouraged by the emails I've gotten from people, like you said, gay and straight and in between, who have said, thank you so much for showing me the value of Jesus in this conversation. Thank you for sharing your story with other people. And there, there are plenty of people like me um, who just aren't used to seeing their stories shared. And I hope as the Church becomes a more open place that 
in humility and in decency, we're going to be able to hear more stories of what following Jesus is really like. I think that's important. And you also mentioned in your book, and this is such an issue too, there's a difference between a church that's accepting and telling people that everything is fine. You know, it's funny that same, once going back to the gossip thing, the same church that will say, oh, gossip's not okay, will say, well, you know, same-sex relationships are fine. Well, wait a minute, where are you finding that? So there's a difference between a church that accepts that and makes it sound like it's okay and a church that condemns you for ever, ever having a temptation. That there's right. somewhere in the middle is what we're looking for. That's where the grace yeah. spot is. That's where it is. Jesus yeah. came full of grace and truth, and we want to be churches that look like him. Yeah, that's true. Absolutely. Rachel, what a thrill to talk to you. Thank you so much. This book is so powerful. I'm going to recommend it to a bunch of people. It's called Born Again This Way, Coming Out, Coming to Faith, and What Comes Next, Rachel Gilson. Where can people get this, Amazon and the Good Book Company? Yeah, Amazon, Good Book Company. I think they've got it on Westminster. I mean, you can Google it, and I'm sure it'll come up. (laughs) Okay. Well, that's great, and I I wish you the best with this, and I I love what you're saying, and it's so important for people to, to read it and understand, because as you mentioned, you know, Christ is all about grace and truth. Truth. We have to have both of those, and I think sometimes yeah, we err on the truth side without the grace side, or err on the grace side without the truth side. We've got to have both. That's right. Thank you, Rachel. Appreciate it. Thanks so much. Once again, a great book. It's called Born Again This Way, Rachel Gilson. I really wanted you to hear that because the book had a big impact on me, that's for sure. I'm Heidi Harris. Join me for my live radio show weekday morning, 6 a.m. to 9 a.m. on AM 670 KMZQ in Las Vegas. You can find all the information about me at HeidiHarris.com, my books, my podcasts, my blog posts, all that stuff, social media at HeidiHarris.com. Until we meet again, remember, you were created for a purpose. Here's Tony Scottwell. (laughs) 